0: Welcome to Council Four Unplugged. This is the podcast of Council Four AFSCME. We are a union representing thirty thousand hardworking people across the state of Connecticut. I'm Larry Dorman here with my co-host Renee Hamill. How are you doing, Renee?
1: I'm doing great. Hi, everyone.
0: Yeah, we're Hi, doing this by Zoom, but we're going we're making it work. And we've got really important and topical issue to discuss today. It's unemployment insurance and COVID nineteen. And what's happening with uh, stimulus and relief uh, packages that will help working people get through this pandemic. And our guests are Xavier Gordon of AFSCME Local 269. Xavier is the president of our 400-person bargaining unit that represents uh, employees of the Connecticut Department of Labor who have been working feverishly behind the scenes uh, to make sure that the needs of Connecticut citizens are met in this difficult time, and our special guest is Michelle Evermore from Washington, D.C., and Michelle is a senior research and policy analyst for the National Employment Law Project. So Xavier and Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Larry.
1: Glad to be here. Yeah, we're so happy that you're here. We've seen you all over on all major broadcasting stations talking about employment insurance, and we've heard you on the radio, so we're so happy that you can make it here with us today. Um, So tell us what the National Employment Law Project does and how is your organization supporting workers during the COVID-19 pandemic?
2: So this is a 50-year-old organization. We are all about uh, eliminating income disparity. We are about building worker power and eliminating structural racism. And so what we've been doing throughout the course of the pandemic is fighting for unemployed workers, trying to make sure that they have the best support possible right now. Um, Our health and safety team has been hard at work making sure that uh, health and safety is protected in the workplace to the extent possible and blasting the administration for not providing clear guidance on that and um, fighting for fair wages. Um, people are still having to go to work um, and we're, we're trying to protect not just their health and safety on the job, but that, um, but trying to get them premium pay right now while they're going to work in the most dangerous time in history to go
0: to work. And Xavier, I imagine on a similar vein, um, tell us about what AFSCME Local 269 members who work at the Department of Labor are doing and uh, the challenges they're facing.
3: Well, uh, I mean, uh, our major challenges right now were... were Initially, when we first started um, processing claims back in March, uh, our biggest problem was the amount of uh, claims that were coming into the system. Um, Since March, we've had over seven hundred thousand claims processed. So we're we're uh, you know, and initially we were in the office, and so the big uh, the biggest uh, concern was to get us out of the office and within. I believe four or five days after schools closed, we were able to uh, get our office closed, and so uh, then the struggle was then to get um, uh, laptops for everybody, uh, so that they can work from home. So we were splitting time initially, but now most of our members, thank God, are are all working from home. Um, we are. We feel much better about that right now. Um, uh, a, a few of our members are uh, are doing a 50%, meaning they're half in the office, half, uh, half at home, which is fine. Uh, I mean, they chose to do so. It's not that they they have to do it that way. Uh, there are only certain uh, divisions that, uh, uh, unfortunately, that are not under my control that are um, doing uh, are mostly in the office. Uh, practically every single day, as far as that's concerned. But we—it's been a struggle. Um, the different programs that we have, meaning the plummet, uh, the PUA or the pandemic unemployment assistance, has been a been an issue. Um, uh, even regular unemployment has been an issue because of, uh, again, we have a lot of fraud claims that are coming through, uh, unfortunately. But um, we're doing the best we can, and uh, we we can, are beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like. I mean we're finally under um, under 6000 claims at the moment in the, in the queue so we're, we're feeling better about ourselves but unfortunately unemployment hearings aren't are aren't aren't, aren't, aren't going to be done uh f- um, f- are running at, at a I believe we're out 8 weeks out at the moment yeah, where- so
1: right now um, you know we're at a state where we have I mean, we're at, we're at a point where we have 18 million people that are out of work and COVID cases are um, continuing to rise. And at the end of July, the $600 extra employment benefits have expired uh, when we haven't seen Congress pass another COVID relief bill to extend these benefits. Um, tell us about what's going on at the federal level, Michelle, um, and, and why there's so much disagreement, and why they still have failed to pass something for people that are really hurting.
2: Yeah, so what's going on now seems to be a bunch of smoke and mirrors coming out of the administration. Um, I couldn't be more furious that um, Mark Meadows has taken a vacation this week. He's the chief negotiator for the administration. On additional relief package, um, I just yesterday talked to leadership and both leadership uh, staff in both the House and Senate on the on the Democratic side, and they are really wanting to get to the table and uh, come to agreement. And and Mark Meadows is out of town. It's it's unbelievable to me. Um, so what the president did instead of extending the federal pandemic unemployment assistance is they issued this weird mem- memorandum that nobody can figure out um, that would pay out of FEMA an additional $300 a week that he said was $400 a week, but is actually $300 a week as it turns out because the match that they're talking about using as a match is the benefits that people are already paying out. Um, It's not clear how exactly all this would work it would require states to set up basically a shadow unemployment insurance program within unemployment insurance because regular unemployment insurance admin dollars can't be used to pay benefits that aren't unemployment insurance and this is absolutely make no mistake not an unemployment insurance benefit it's a totally different thing that states have never done before and uh, i just I, i love the state agency workers so much right now i can't believe you have endured so much and now they're asking you to set up a, this, this whole side program, add more to your overtime to pay a to, to set up a benefit that will only be available for a couple of weeks. Um, I, I don't know how this works. I don't know if it's illegal. I, I everything about all I have is more questions. I'm supposed to be an unemployment insurance expert and all I have is questions about this thing. Um, and they mm-hmm. think that that's enough to um, they, they think that that's enough to make up for this $600 federal benefit. And it absolutely isn't $300 is not $600. We know that was working. Why would we stop it? Um, I, 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 am, I, I, I don't think I've been professionally more angry than I am right now.
0: Yeah, we can hear it. Uh, <laughs> you sound frustrated and angry. Uh, and Xavier this obviously has implications at, at, at the state level for uh, our Af members who are working so tirelessly around the clock to to help people and to process claims and check up on the um, where things are and to and just simply to help people so you know my I'm wondering too because part of the the false narrative from the the, the Trump administration has been that the you know, states can set a new system up and get it up and running in a few weeks. And Connecticut, as you mentioned, has been working already on updating a new unemployment system, COVID-19 hit. um, And so there are a lot of challenges. Um, What do you see are the major roadblocks for Connecticut to implement something um, like this that's being sort of driven from a top-down basis without any consultation with the states?
3: Well, you know, and again, this is basically my opinion, but... Uh, Anytime we see a new program uh, come out from the feds, uh, we always uh, are always behind uh, behind the curve in trying to implement programs only because of the fact that our system is so old. So trying to implement a program um, of that nature, uh, something that is gonna be uh, an add-on is not that simple to do. And so uh, we can easily see that a program like this is easily going to add more hours to uh, to our overall um, overtime. Uh, uh, we we felt, to be honest, uh, as I was seeing it, that the by the end of this month, by the end of August, we would probably see the end of OT uh, of overtime pay. But it, it, if uh, if we go on to implement this program, we probably will not see the end of overtime well into October, and then. Uh, at that point well now we're into the busy season and we'll probably hit the peak season we may have to hang on to our part-time workers that we just hired uh, and we've literally hired over 180 people uh just as an intermittent at the moment um and now the question is going to be is that enough and 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 in my opinion i'm going to tell you right off that it's not uh, we're probably going to need to hire more, but uh, you know, we we don't want to face the idea of privatization uh, because Lamont may feel that that's the direction that we may have to go in in order to um, in order to try to supplement uh, where we're lacking at the moment. Uh, you know, I think there is something being proposed now in order to do that, um, and I I really don't feel that we were we need to do those things at this moment. So. Uh, let's hope that changes, and let's hope that uh, we're able to uh, uh, go with what we have at the moment. And if we have to hire some more people, that like they're actually hired uh, through the right method, through the uh, through our uh, agency, and working for us, not an outside vendor.
1: Yeah, that's a lot on um, all of your plates right now, and um, I can't imagine what it would be like to. to start fresh with something else. Um, Michelle, you were saying that the $600, um, benefit for unemployment, extra benefit was working. Um, you know, but we've been hearing a lot of people say even our own governor, that that $600 was an incentive and encouragement to not return to work. Um, well, how would you respond in terms of, you know, how is, how is this narrative harmful? And how would you respond to somebody who says something like this?
2: It's just a deplorable narrative. First of all, study after study, Yale, um, uh, uh, UMass, um, Brookings have all shown that there was absolutely no disincentive effect to the $600. And I think the proof is in the pudding, in a way. Here, it, in the beginning of June, every economist I know was expecting the May jobs report to show that unemployment was over 20%. And literally on Twitter, at 8:32, after everybody would read the the, the um, read the announcement that unemployment dropped, all anybody was posting was just what in all capital letters, you know, because people were going back to work and the $600 prevented the spread of economic pain. Cutting off the $600 I've said in the past is like uh, opening the bars too soon. Um, Economic pain spreads like a virus. And if you think that that $600 does not affect you, you're wrong. Um, that, that kept money flowing in the community. People are paying taxes on it. So it's keeping the government going. Um, It's, it's, it's boosted, it's, it's main allowed people to maintain spending. Um, It's kept people from getting foreclosed on uh, evicted. Um, There was an eviction moratorium in place, but um, you know, if people can't make rent, eventually that moratorium is going to go away. Right. Um, And so it, it has really been a lifeline for people, and um, I actually uh, issued a paper last week with uh, with the Groundwork Collective um, that showed that if you take into account fringe ben- fringe benefits, people aren't making more on the with the $600. Health insurance is expensive, and I think that people like having health insurance when there's a pandemic, um, and when we live in a world where health insurance is largely employer sponsored. So I think Great. that. You know, there is all kinds Wait. of there. There's a lot of evidence, and um, it, it's just obvious. The six hundred dollars was working, and taking it away will crash the economy. It's just a matter of when.
3: I agree with Michelle. I mean, for someone that uh, I'm on the front lines, and I'm I'm processing unemployment claims every single day, and so a lot of the unemployment claims, and and this is the greater percentage. Um, I, I you know, p- people are making anywhere between fifteen dollars to um 40 or fifty dollars or to a hundred dollars a week on unemployment because uh they may just have started a job and got let go during the pandemic so it, they're at very low unemployment rates and that 600 was a big boost and so that 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 was keeping them going so to all of a sudden drop to to fifteen dollars or hundred dollars or or anything in between right. a was a big uh, a big hurt uh, to them, to their families. I mean, I don't know how they're putting foods on, uh, food on the table. I mean, they're, this was a, a major hit when, when that $600
0: went away. Um, and so, Michelle, getting back to the, the mess that has been taking place in, in Washington, D.C., um, as you mentioned, the, obviously, the, and everybody knows, these talks broke down, uh, Trump's chief of staff uh, can't even be bothered right now to, um, revive the meetings. Um, why did this happen in, in, from the perspective of the national employment law project, what do you see or what do you hope can happen, um, that will be better for working people?
2: Well, you know, I really hope that that they do get back to the bargaining table. I think extending the $600 isn't enough. I think that there are other problems going on that we need a technical solution for as well. And this may not sound like a really big deal, but um, so pandemic unemployment assistance, if somebody accidentally gets too much of pandemic unemployment assistance um, and, and it's through agency error, no fault of their own, there's no way to waive... Uh, recoupment of that overpayment. And so people will get uh, a pretty big bill um, if if it's found that they were overpaid. And the, the problem here is that the Employment and Training Administration um, at the Department of Labor here in D.C. has been telling agencies, oh, you haven't been doing uh, pandemic unemployment assistance, right? You've been paying too many people, um, when, when that isn't what the original guidance really said. And so, so, Agencies were doing the right thing and paying people uh, And getting as many people on the rolls as possible and now it's looking like they may be told that they have to issue overpayment uh, Notifications to a lot of folks and and that's that's really scary to me Um, I know that Congress was working on language to fix that. So states could waive those um, particularly if somebody would experience financial hardship uh, agencies do this already all the time for regular unemployment insurance if the, if the agency made a quote-unquote a mistake um, Which in this case isn't even the agency's fault. It's bad guidance coming from DC
0: um, And again, I, you know, I, it's maybe in some ways it's pointless to belabor what happened because what happened was bad and it led to an executive order that's absolutely um, unhelpful and, and in fact damaging Um where did the breakdown happen, Michelle? And and how do you see it? Is there potential for it to be fixed or bridged somehow? What were the points of disagreement that led us to where we are right now?
2: So um I, I think that, you know, I think that that the administration and the people who were against the 600 dollars were starting to break, we're starting to wear down on that and we're starting to come our way. Um, but I think it was largely the overall price tag. Um, the Heroes Act that passed the House was about three trillion. Um, the White House wants to spend only maybe one trillion, and so you know I think that um, Pelosi and Schumer were thinking, okay, well I guess that means we should try to go to two trillion. That sounds like a number in the middle. Um, and the White House, it sounds like, was saying no, our way or the highway. Um, and you know they're they're blaming a lot of the other side items in the bill, but I really think it's the price tag and the unwillingness to move up from, a, a, you know, too little aid um, to really be effective. Uh, you know, there there were there were other items in the bill besides unemployment insurance, like aid to states, which should be you know which is obviously right. important to ask me, um, and and things like that. So um, I think yeah. that's where the breakdown was. <clears throat>
1: I'm glad that you brought up uh, the state and local aid. Um, I was reading that the Republicans were very much against any aid to state and local governments, saying that they still have money that they haven't spent yet. Um, And, you know, as Council Four, we have 30,000 members that work in the public and private sector who have been doing so much to help their communities with public services that they need right now, such as like food stamps, SNAP benefits. Um, you know, public health initiatives that are going to help, you know, improve the the coronavirus pandemic and education. Um, You know, we had a lot of members cleaning up after the storm that we just had, Um, you know, and we have members like Xavier that are helping people get unemployment benefits right now. So we really need the state and local aid to be able to continue to provide those services that people need. Um, Xavier, what do you think that asking members can do to make sure that state and local aid is a priority in any upcoming relief package that's going to be passed?
3: Well, you know, I've asked all my members uh, to contact their representatives and, and let it be known. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all about calling our, our, our state reps, uh, you know, our, our U.S. state reps, our, our, our U.S. senators, uh, and letting, letting them know. I mean, we are in dire straits right now. Um, we need to help our community. It's more about, it's not just about serving the uh, the citizens of Connecticut. It's more about uh, serving our communities. I mean, uh, I, I live, I live in Stanford and, uh, and I've lived here for, you know, over 30 years. And the one thing I could tell you is that I, I, I know all my na- neighbors and all my neighbors are struggling right now. And um, you know, they do come to me and they do ask me the unemployment question. I mean, on my off time. Um, But I mean, what can I do? I mean, I can't, I can't turn my back on them either. I mean, that's not what you want to do because you've known them for so long, but they, but they're in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. So whether I'm working or, and they're not working, I mean, it could be easily the opposite, opposite someday. And so, you know, it's always the best thing to do is try to help out as much as possible. And, you know, trying to, to do what we're doing right now and serve it uh, and, and processing over 700,000 claims isn't easy. And I, and I, and I tell them to be Mm. patient, but you know, that it may not be enough right now. And as I'm saying, you know, no matter how, how we do it these days, we have to do it with, with less people. And, and, but, you know, if, if, Uh, If the state chooses to subsidize us in any way or form We'll definitely be able to add on more people and service the public uh, the way they should be serviced
0: What goes on in your head when you hear that michelle, you're hearing from a um, You know a union person at the state level talking about the struggles and the challenges that this epidemic is Pandemic rather has posed. How do you respond to what xavier just said?
2: Well, you know, um Connecticut I, I'm, I'm saying this with the people in mind who had to wait a while to get a benefit and who, who are still waiting. Um, it, it, it may come as cold comfort to know this, but Connecticut is one of the best systems out there, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's a good unionized workplace. Um, and you know, there are states that are not handling this as well as Connecticut is. Uh, most most states actually aren't. Um, a little bit of context here is that. You know the the highest number of new claims in a week in history was 695 thousand back in October of 1982, and we saw weeks with 3.3 million, then two weeks in a row with 6.6 million new claims, and um, you know this is just not something that anybody could have been prepared for. But that yeah. on a federal level we've been pretty stingy with unemployment insurance administration. So starting in in 2020 the the base uh, amount of money for administrative funding for for UI was 2.1 billion right uh, which is less than it was in 2001 the base funding then was 2.2 billion so we've let this funding erode as inflation has increased as there are more people to actually participate in the system and so you know my my hats off to state agency folks because they've done so little with they've done so much with so little Um, that, you know, I, I, I think I've said this before on Ask Me, uh, podcast, but there should be a ticker tape parade for these workers
1: when all of this is said and done.
3: Amen. I, amen. I agree.
1: You both are doing so much to help workers. Um, what advice would you give to somebody that's really struggling to try to access unemployment benefits?
3: Wow. I, you know, we have so many things in place right now between the digital, the phone, the email. I, I, I mean, you know, do your best in order to try to uh, try to get through. But, I, I mean, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, our queues are, pre- are pretty heavy at the moment. We have over 60,000 uh, uh, people in the queue right now just waiting for um, assistance on the uh, – on the digital side, between emails and phone calls, so it's it, again that's a struggle right now to try to get uh, to get to everyone um, because we have a limited number of people ser- uh, uh, trying to service that many people, uh, that many applications that have gone through. So, um, but uh, you know, each and every single day is a victory because we we're getting to those people, and eventually we will. I mean, the best news I can give you right now is that. Uh, we're under uh, we're under seven or eight days in processing uh, a new claim, so new claims are going through pretty quickly now. So we're we're not having issues there. I, I mean it's it's on the uh, it's on the other side right now. Is that once it's processed and if people are aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing timely, that's when issues are going to arise about getting their payments uh, uh, timely. So, you know, um, I think we've done everything that we can. But um I think the um I think the website is not as user friendly as it should be. It should be a little bit better, but you know, again, not everybody has the computer, not everybody reads all the materials that, that we put on the website. I I mean it's a little bit of everything, but I mean we're it's a struggle, to be honest right now as it stands. I, I mean I, I feel for everyone, but all the information is there. Everything that um, that we're providing is there. It's it's right there at your fingertips. I'm just hoping and praying that they read a little bit and just make sure that they they follow through. Whether it's it's an email, a text, a phone call, we're trying to uh, we're trying to get back to everybody as quickly as we can.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we appreciate your members' work. Um, and uh, I just want to say this has been uh, an, an absolute. The absolutely fascinating show, and it's been a pleasure. Uh, we've had Michelle Evermore from the National Employment Law Project. She's a senior research and policy analyst there, and uh, many of you probably should be familiar by now because um, if you, uh, Michelle is an excellent Twitter follow. So <laughs> I, I have to do that and make sure that uh, urge folks to follow her. Um, On Twitter, Xavier Gordon is the president of AFSCME Local 269 at the Department of Labor. And I just want to say to both of you that you are quiet heroes who are uh, really trying to push this economy forward in in the right way and push this recovery from a terrible pandemic forward in in the right and proper way that that honors and respects working people. And um, we at Council 4 really appreciate what you're doing.
3: Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that.
2: Thank you so much. And thank you for everything, all of the things that you're doing to keep uh, to keep this ship afloat.
0: <laughs> We're going to do it. We'll get there somehow. So, uh, again, I want to thank Xavier Gordon and Michelle Evermore and, of course, our co-host, uh, Renee Hamill. As always, thanks for listening to our Council for Unplugged podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms by searching for Council for AFSCME. Our website is councilfor.org. My name Larry Dorman, and you've been unplugged.